Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless it. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for time in your word. We're grateful for being in the company of believers who, who seek your face and what you have said down through many centuries, apostles and prophets. We'd ask that you would bless us today out of Hebrews. In your son's name, amen. I was, I was thinking about, for some reason, the famous verse about what faith is in Hebrews 11.1. 1. And it had come up in a conversation, and so I, got my, I couldn't get my mind off of it. And so I thought I'd better look at it again for a sermon. And I'm looking at the passage on faith in Hebrews, starting in chapter 10, and not going really all the way through chapter 11. I, I leave off a number of his examples of faith uh, towards the end of the chapter. But he gets to the, he gets to the, the root of the point, or the, the point that we're trying to make um, before then, and it wouldn't go on to fill up the, the page too much. So I want you, we're basically considering the, the nature of our belief, the nature of the faith part of our belief. Uh, not what we believe about, but what it is that we're doing when we claim you are saved by grace through faith. We're, we're big on that. Some people say Christians are fideists, because fides is faith. They, they believe in the belief aspect rather than ceremonies or whatever. So it matters to us. We all know that it's important, but we also know that when we look at the first century church, we're not living in that place. Maybe the Christians in China are going through something like the first century was going through. It was probably worse than the first century because the actual killing was going on. But the people he, uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to have been through that. It says here in the first verse in chapter 10, verse 32, it says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on the prisoners, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now he's coming out of a situation in Hebrews 10 where he is warning these Hebrew Christians uh, to not fall away from the faith. There's a section in Hebrews 10 that that Christians like to argue about, about whether or not it's a, a loss of salvation situation, right before this. And then he, he falls into this thing about, about your faith, about your belief. So you've been through some hard things. Now we're Christians in an affluent situation. You might think not having a second car is persecution. You know, we don't you might find that if you walk into one world and get a cup of coffee and someone hears that you're a Christian, they might frown at you. That's persecution in the West. You know, we, oh my gosh, I was persecuted. It could get worse, but it's not bad now. But these Christians have been through it. They have, they have carried themselves well through the persecution. And that they endured certain things since they knew, they're in verse 34, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Okay? That was what carried them through. The, 
the, the direction content of their faith address things like a better possession and an abiding possession. So as we go through our lives, I, I wanted to sort of examine that. What we do with our faith, because everybody, everybody has faith. You believe in something. You know, it's, uh, you, you rarely meet a true nihilist. You know, when you do meet a nihilist, uh, they're kind of sad about it. You know, man, I don't have anything to believe in. Nothing is true. I really wish something was true, including this claim that I really wish something was true. They know they want to have some faith, but they don't think they can have it. But they're, they're rare people. Everybody really believes in something. When you say a better possession and an abiding one, you say, couldn't you be more specific, like saying something Christian about the better possession? Because it sounds like somebody else's faith in some other storyline. Some other faith in some other promise of religion or philosophy or social improvement, whatever the better possession is. But he's talking to people he knows, he's talking to people that have been through this, and he's talking to people who got through the persecution, and he's warning them about the whole book of Hebrews, is warning the Christians not to go back to the Hebrew law. Because they would become as great, as much like Galatians. I don't know if you believe if Paul wrote Hebrews or, or whether somebody else did, but um, it's tracked with Galatians pretty aggressively. It's denial of the law. It is uh, that Christianity is far higher than law keeping. But he's warning them about that. And he says, therefore, verse 20, uh, 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that you may do the will of God and receive what is promised. Remember, what carried them through was the belief that they knew they, they, knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. He says, don't throw this away. You have confidence in it. You knew something. You had confidence and you are called to endure so that you can get to the thing that you believed was there for you. It carried you through before. So, as you consider your faith, knowing that you have to adjust mathematically for being in the modern age and affluent and in a country that is really, you know, arresting people for being Christians, you're going to have to maybe examine a bit more acutely but even the persons who have been through it, who look like they've, they've got all the reason in the world to stay close to Christ, still are being led astray by a path to a new idea of holiness, a new idea of righteousness, a new idea of what should be done by the Christian than what the apostles were teaching. You could, you could fall for that too. We could fall for that. All of us could be led astray. So... What you need to be looking at are certain elements in, in faith here. The, you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. It, what do you know? I mean, we come to church. Uh, it's a pretty low-impact church. No staff. No secretary. No 
bulletins, you know, we don't get really true real bulletins like a real church. Um, theater groups move our piano around. We're just not, we're not really, really that committed to being churchy, but we all are committed to being Christians. And what is it? Ask yourself, what is it that is my better possession? If I were to sit down at the kitchen table when I got home today, so I'm going to just write out a sentence that what is my better possession as a Christian? What is my abiding possession? What, what am I facing? What am I looking for? Because when he says, don't throw away your confidence, it was in that better possession. It was in that I had a confidence that it was coming to me, and that I, if I endured, I would make it to the point of award. Whatever you have faith in, you're, you're counting on it to come through for something. I believe I'm going to win the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. And so you sit there on your porch waiting for the guy to drive up in the truck with a really big check. I don't know where they get those, but really big check. You're waiting to endure. And if you sit on your porch, you will wait a long time. But look at the things you're encouraged to do. Measure it as better. Measure it if it's abiding. Be aware that you can throw away your confidence. A lot of times Christians' faith is not that they don't know what it is. They stop using it and they just, you know, just not that point in my life where I'm going to be driving myself by my faith have different ways of throwing it away. But you have to want, you, it seems that, that whatever your faith, it's got this promise coming to you. You're going to find that, this definition here in a moment, but um, to receive the will of God, that we, or do, to do the will of God, and to receive what is promised from him, which is saying, the righteousness of life, whatever the thing that God wants my life to be, and wherever he wants to take me, receive what was promised, those are the things that the writer of Hebrews is promising. He's saying, if I hold fast, if I endure, if I have confidence, if I operate this way on what I know, God will be able to have me do his will and receive what is promised. Yet for a little while, verse 37, the coming one shall come and shall not tarry, but my righteous one shall live by faith. This is a quote out of Habakkuk. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. My soul, I'm righteous, shall live by faith. But the warning here, that's a famous, famous line out of Habakkuk, and it's a famous uh, concept for Christians, that you come to life in Christ through faith. But it's the dark side of this equation that the writer of Hebrews is bringing up. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Because look what he says in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and keep their souls. He's been warning them through chapter 10, through most of the book, of what it is to shrink back from the nature of the gospel. This is why it is not important, as important that you be able to define what faith is, because you kind of know. 
because you're using it all the time in everything you do and everything you set your sights on, you believe or you don't believe to a varying extent. Finding out, finding out whether you have shrunk back from that which was most important, have you pursued with confidence and endurance that which is important? What, where have you applied the faith? We don't want to shrink back. No, I don't. You know, you know you can't join this church, and you know that there isn't a statement of faith that tells you this church believes the eternal security of the believer. Now, I am an eternal security sort of person. I welcome you if you're, not, if you're not. If you're not the kind of person who believes that you can keep your salvation just because, um, this may be of some moment to you, to shrink back and be destroyed. If you are an internal security per, per, person, still going to have some concern, because it does mean something, doesn't it? It does mean that we don't want to be in that group that shrink back and are destroyed. So that, how, how my faith is measured, whether it is one of confidence, endurance, knowledge, to get the will of God done and to receive what is promised, this is up against destruction, somehow. Now, he gives you the definition that's world famous. Now, faith, verse 1 of chapter 11, now faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. That's almost a, well, that's obvious. It's such a wonderful definition. And once you start to look at it, you begin to realize how rich it is because it isn't just Christian faith. It is faith. Because, I don't know if you knew, but you have very little knowledge according to what is happening to you right now. Okay? The nanosecond of your existence where you can reach out and go, this is real. Those people are real. Most of what you say and claim about, even the immediate now, is your memory of an immediate now. Things you really don't have at your hand right now. It just seems like, yeah, it slips into my immediate past immediately and I remember you all sitting there and you're still sitting there and so I believe you're all there. We don't have actual demonstrable assurance that anything before this has existed. We believe it all on authority. I read a textbook that said the Spanish Armada attacked England. William the Conqueror did it in 1066. Uh, what, uh, what else happened? World War II, greatest generation. Guess what? Those are things you never saw. I saw a disturbing photo the other day. It was a picture out of the movie show Gunsmoke, TV show. Remember old people? Gunsmoke. And uh, whatever that actor's name is, Chuck Connors. Was it Chuck Connors? That was the rifleman. Gunsmoke was Matt Dillon, uh, Arnett. James Arness. Okay, thank you. There was a picture out of that TV show looking down the street, dusty street, the sheriffs walking down the street. And then they showed you Brighton and in color, that same scene in California where it is now. And oh my heavens, it's in color, one, and it's not that place anymore. 
begin to realize how much we depend for everything we think we know. Because the assurance of things hoped for, it says, how do you touch what's coming? Because you don't know, you can't see what's coming. You can't experience what's coming. Nobody sent you a package of photos that says, hey, here's some photos of what's coming. You don't know. And conviction of things not seen. Because even this world that you're in currently, that you barely can claim to know from empirical data, is built of things you can't see. You've heard of gravity, right? And all of you believe in it because you're sitting your butts down in a pew expecting not to go flying up to the ceiling. And you just let go. You just let go. 32 feet per second squared, keeping me in the pew. Things not seen. You're, you're, you've got a conviction of that. Our whole world is based on things that we cannot demonstrate in any way. You can't demonstrate the past. You can't claim the future. You can't even claim the now. Because all you could do is bump around to these bumper cars you're assigned and think that that's the sum total of life when really you're processing your faith about all of this. So what do you hope for? That's what it comes down to. What are the things you make claims about? What are your strong convictions of? The things that you don't see? The, uh, the thing that happens to the rest of this chapter is telling you about all these people of faith. And it's not because they did, had the magical button or the juice of faith had been given them. We all have it. Because we're all facing lack of clarity and claim about most of our life. Tomorrow, yesterday, right now, we're just having to exercise a conviction about a claim. And the claim about the now, about the information, about where the world came from, where you came from, what the meaning of it all is, is pointing to a world we think we're designing or hoping for or creating someplace better. You just talk to a, you know, a politician. They think they can make you a better world. They claim they'll make you a better world. But God says, no, 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 no. That is faith, but... It's not faith in him. For by it, verse 2, the men of old received divine approval. Because they had exercised a, a strong conviction about futurism? No. It wasn't that they had re reached an assurance of things hoped for. You talk to anybody gambling in Vegas. They've got assurance about what they're hoping for. And does God go, wow, what a sight. He's losing a lot of money. He believes it's all going to come back to him. He believes he's going to walk out with 10 grand, 100 grand. Most of the people there have that belief. Somebody has to win, and it has to be them. 
Well, God's not measuring their faith. Why do they receive divine approval? If it's not the act, believing, being assured of some place you hope to be going that's good, being convicted about things that aren't, I can't really measure and see and hold a yardstick up to or weigh their atoms or their spirits. Why did we get divine approval for it? By faith we understand that the world was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. It reminds you of what he just said was the definition. Conviction of things not seen. You have a storyline where you believe God made the world. Out of things that you can't see. Right? Uh, theologically, this is the one verse that begins the thinking about the creatio ex nihilo. That and philosophy cobbled together to say God made the world out of nothing. Well, this, actually, it's out of things that you can't see. Not out of no things, but out of things you can't see. So it's probably more agreeable, at least to the um, pre-material, some sort of pre-material that God works with, whatever you want to do with that. But, by faith we understand it was created by the word of God. Now, we're all sitting in a universe that we have delivered to us. Now, how did it get here? Everyone knows a miracle happened. Everyone. Who's the God? That's the question. The God, is it some aliens from another dimension who came in and made this dimension and universe? Was it, was, is the God accident? Because it did a remarkable thing from going from a God particle about, you know, pretty small into a universe pretty big. Instantaneously. It was a miracle. The question is, which God did we please? Which God did we believe in? It's the assurance of a thing hoped for, a conviction of a thing not seen. What did I make a claim about? I am convicted that an accident happened X number of billions of years ago in which the universe blew up into the size it is today. Is God giving you his approval? Faith can be just as strong as a Christian's faith. We understand by faith that it was created by the word of God. Our miracle, the story, the mythology, the thing we, we want to tell somebody is God made heaven and earth. We pray that every Sunday morning at the beginning. Maker of heaven and earth. That's the great credit to Jesus Christ in Colossians, that he is maker of everything that was made. We're making that claim. We're not making the claim that we've got the magic juice called faith, and the magic juice of faith, God likes people with faith, and so he awards people with faith salvation. No, the faith is at a particular assurance, a particular conviction. It involves unseen things. We all face that need to know about the area we can't know because we're not there in the past or in the future or even in the now adequately. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. 
Well, the first thing we know is, is it's toward God. We, we're not the story of the thing hoped for. The story of the things not seen is God's story. The word, the word of God made it. Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. You remember that story. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Abel doesn't get a whole lot of mention. He just gets himself killed. Cain gets a lot more, you know, drama and conversation going. You don't even have any conversation with Abel. All he did was do a more acceptable thing. Through which he received approval as righteous. Remember that a conviction of things not seen for by it the men of old received divine approval. You're either going to say it's the faith that gets you the approval or it's the subject of the faith that gets you the approval. It seems to be the subject of the faith. That which tells me the story that gets me to care that I give a more acceptable sacrifice. If I'm approaching a God in whom I have assurance and conviction about what he has claimed, I'm going to bring him the best. Remember that in Malachi where the prophet argues with him, he says, you wouldn't even take that to your governor. You'd give him a better sheep for dinner than you took to sacrifice at the temple. You can measure, you can measure people's faith and what the, the story they actually claim by the intensity of certain things, by the direction of things. Is it about God? So the Christian, oh, I don't doubt Christians can be wobbly about creation. You know, that's certainly can be wobbly about a lot of things. But you're, you're measuring the faith of the individual. You're saying, well, when they tell the story of how the world came to be, do they defer to their priests in the world, or do they defer to the record of the word of God? By faith, we understand that the world was created by the word of God. By faith. Is that the story I believe? If I believe, well, you know, that's probably just a metaphor for, you know, as soon as you start talking about metaphors, you're talking about your faith. You realize what, what myth did you decide to believe because the person who tells you the myth that you decide to believe is the person you want the award from that they promise you. You don't want to be embarrassed on campus or among your, you know, Tony, your friends looking like some sort of fundamentalist out of the, you know, the hick south who believes in Noah's Ark. Or somebody. Who is that? Who raised that boy? Um, but actual faith, having an assurance about the things hoped for in God, having a conviction of things not seen, moved by God in his creation, I end up moving forward to say, well, that I will give a more acceptable sacrifice and I will be approved for it. It got him killed because there are bad people in the world, like his brother. He died. He received approval as righteous, God-bearing witness by accepting his gifts. 
There's a bunch of little phrases in here by which you can throw your own faith against the wall and says, does God accept my gift? As, as my sacrifices or my things I'm doing for the kingdom of God, are they more acceptable? than what other? Am I living the Christian life that is more acceptable to God? Does God approve of what I'm doing? Do I believe his story about what he said happened? Now, I'm, I'm no scientist, but I know what it says in the scriptures. So I just believe it. Do I want to be moved by pleasing this God? And it says, God bearing witness by accepting his gifts. He died, and this is a, just something that really stuck out to me reading this. But through his faith, he is still speaking. That, does that touch anybody? Bible quiz time. What did the Lord say after he was killed? Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. He's, the writer of Hebrews is echoing that, you might say, forensic evidence of the murder of this guy. So the blood's crying to me from the ground, and we see his death as a sort of emblematic death of those that have given the more acceptable, that annoys the living heck out of people who are not giving the acceptable sacrifice, who think they should not be rejected. I, God should accept everything I'm giving. I just want to punch the guy in the face. But God accepting his sacrifice, which ended up getting him killed, just like his blood cried out from the ground that his brother was guilty, his faith cries out, and still is speaking. He was a person who stood in the presence of God and did what God wanted. This is after the fall. There's not automatically righteous people. God seems to be actually functioning in person with them at the time because Cain and Abel both walk up to God and offer him the sacrifice and they have a little conversation about it. It's what... Well, this is kind of a... The way I was thinking about this, just something to... It doesn't cover everything in this passage, but the idea of what's on the receiving end of your faith. What's the receiving end of your faith? Not what is the, the generation or the doing end. Christians can argue about whether or not you're you know, predetermined to have the faith or whether you have the faith on your own. Less of the problem. Everybody has faith. I don't care if it's determined or it's free. Whatever the case, it's going to be about these arenas that you cannot show. These arenas that are not obvious to our immediate sensations. We've got the future, we've got the past, we've got the unseen now, and our faith is necessary. Okay, well, I don't care where it comes from, I care where it's going. What, what myth am, am I believing? What story explains to me the nature of man? By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was attested as having pleased God. Now, this is actually an argument the writer of Hebrews is making because it doesn't talk in the Bible about Enoch's faith. 
It just says he, he was not, he walked with God and he was not for the Lord took him. That was it for Enoch. And a quotation in Jude. But the writer of Hebrews is arguing, he says, it was attested that he had pleased God. He says he wants you to know that without faith, the next verse, and without faith it is impossible to please him. This is so directional, and in case you miss it, the next line is, whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now you've heard me quote that. It's one of my favorite quotation passages. It's a matter of the direction of your faith. It's on the receiving end of your faith. Who is it about? Who defines your world for you? If you were to say, well, I'm going to tell the history of the world to my children or to my friends, do you go, X number of thousand years ago, Jesus Christ the second person of the Trinity of God called the world into existence by his will. Do I say that? Or don't I? Whatever story you tell, even if it's some adjustment of the Christian, is in service and drawing near to the Lord you want to be awarded by. If you adjusted the Christian message, the biblical message, for something that's a little more suitable, applied itself to the righteousness of the world or applied itself to the beliefs of the world you're trying to still collect on the promises the world is going to offer you their utopia by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen took heed and constructed an ark for the saving of his household by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which comes by faith We have all sorts of things we can be doing that are the, the path that someone who believes in this God, not a God, not some variety of Christianity, the God of the scriptures. What does he claim? Do you believe it? Are you assured of it? He's made some comments about the future. He's made comments about the past. Those are things that are already waiting for you to believe. Do you believe? Now you say, well, Evan, isn't faith about the work of Christ, etc., etc.? I believe in his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, seated at the right hand, centerpiece of the gospel. I'm not going to make any claims that, that faith and believing God in everything is uh, the only path to being saved because the gospel is what saves. Jesus Christ will save you on the basis of your claim about him being Lord and him being raised from the dead. Those are centered pieces. But as you examine your faith, remember he warned you about those who would shrink back because everything you do is on faith and everything you do is declaring the direction of your faith. Who's the recipient? Who is it about? If I shrunk back from the Christian view of X, not the Christian view that the church agreed upon, but what you see in the scriptures, you yourself, not this church, that church, does it tell you something and you go, no, I don't want to believe that. 
because I will be embarrassed. Or I will go to prison. We look at Noah building an ark. Everybody's seen those stories. I think they made a movie out of it with Evan Almighty. Something like that. I have told you that, right? That it's so far they've got two of my three names. Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty. I'm just waiting for Wilson Almighty. Then we'll, uh, we'll know I'm important. You won't have to wait for me to levitate. You will know. But you know how J- J- Steve Carell gets this message to build the ark, and, and he does. You know how embarrassing that all is. It wasn't just embarrassing. It wasn't just like, gee, everyone's going to laugh at me. But I'll laugh at them. No, they're all dead. The whole idea was the whole world was going to die. He saved his family. By, Abraham, by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Noah had built against all evidence. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out of the place he was to receive as an inheritance... And he went out, not knowing where he was to go. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. For he looked forward to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Because remember, this is about things hoped for, things not seen. Who builds the city you're hoping in? Because all of you are. All of you are. We were, I was talking to Black Kenny a couple of days ago about uh, the uh, the aspect of our faith being sort of irresistibly in a, uh, in a promise, in a utopia. We are about finding a state of ease, okay? We're, that's why we have governments. That's why we have drugs. That's why we have rules for the road. That's why there are laws. We all desperately want a city that's at peace. And you see... Utopian people trying to build a city. Some people set up dark romances of dystopian futures where people try to carve some road warrior moment out of it where they can get some state of ease if they're just tough enough. But everybody's looking for ease. Everybody wants to tell the story where they'll find this organization, this system, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or the U.S. government, you'll want to find peace. Abraham decided he was going to find it in God. He was looking forward to things that promises he had no reason for thinking was going to happen. He was sojourning in the country he was promised and it wasn't his. He was told he was going to have kids and his wife was barren. Till after he was a hundred. He looked forward to the city which the foundation which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Now we're Christians, we got God involved. What's, the, what's he making? By faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even she, when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Because your faith 
is natural to you. It's a matter of who you worship and who you believe. She believed the God who she believed was faithful. He made a promise. You ever had somebody promise something to you and you know, we'll see. He promised to pay the bill next week. We'll see. What's your view of God? He promised something. Do you know the city he promised? Do you know what he's promised? Do you know what he is presenting to you in history, in the future, how he defines the now, the things you can't see? Do you believe them? Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. And you saw them try to. The Jews left Egypt, and they kept saying, let's go back to Egypt. Those are the people you don't want to be. Remember, who shrink back and are destroyed. Those are the people who set their hope on a much more nearby utopia, good that they might be. Oh, let's not go here. Let's turn around and go back. There's a nature of seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land which they, had, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. You're being told by the writer of Hebrews, you don't have to believe it, that we are waiting for a heavenly country. Consider the recipient of your faith. Consider the story that is told to you. Consider he who promised, is he faithful? Consider the city you want to see built. Are you happy with Cancun? Some people are happy with Moscow. I mean, there are people who talk about Moscow like it's the, you know, the Tuscany of America. Best place to raise a family. Well, there you go. Why go on? Let's settle here. Let's not, let's make some kingdom of God on earth. Let's start, what is it, a commune. I'm going to be in charge. Commune. What is the city? Is it Zion? New York? But pick a city. Who wrote it? What the promise is? What the story is? They're explaining a future to you that you're going to work towards. You're going to obey the things that take you there. That's, that's what it wants to do. Is, it has a city. It says that if, if you're going to be in this city and if you want New York or Moscow or Cancun to turn out right, you've got to do what we say. You've got to Meet the system. You've got to move with the acceptable sacrifices. People come to Moscow and they go, okay, what are the acceptable sacrifices? What do I have to do to stay here? Find a job. That's one. Affordable housing, too. You know what the sacrifices are. We're Christians. Guess what? It's Mount Zion. What are the acceptable sacrifices? What are the... What are the obediences? 
what are the complete standing in the hope that you're assured of? What is it about? What does Mount Zion look like? Therefore, God is not ashamed. Remember, this is a personal thing. This is not just a, a religious craft we are doing that we're going to pretend to The God is there. He is looking at your faith to see whether or not he received it. Was he on the receiving end? Did the story he told get believed? God is not ashamed to be called their God. Well, that'd be... You'd hate to see that on a billboard. God Almighty is ashamed to call Evan a Christian. Oh, man, hate it when that happens. He's not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, it goes on to the rest of the chapter, listing more, you know, more on Abraham, Moses, uh, Rahab, uh, various people just listed at the end. And it says in Hebrews 12, after that goes on, he still comes back to that same thing. They did not receive what was promised. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Like them, let's offer the acceptable sacrifices. Like them, let us lay aside everything that held us back. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. We have to endure to the end. We have to be assured. And we look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Everybody's in this boat. Are we assured of the hope that God has promised? Christ, hanging on the cross, had to be assured in his own faith that the hope that was set before him was there. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And God is not ashamed to call us his own or to be called our God. If we believe him, think of the direction of your faith. Do you believe what he says? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for being our God. Point us to the things you have said of yourself and you've said of the past and the future and the now where we're called to believe you or believe someone else. Make us hungry for the city you're building. In your son's name, amen.